0: This is Rev. Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown. and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. I'd like to begin the sermon today by sharing with you the story of a very dysfunctional family. I won't read the whole story, but Just to give you an idea, let me read only the first four verses from Genesis chapter 37. I'm reading from the contemporary English version of the scripture. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father Isaac had lived, and this is the story of his family. When Jacob's son, Joseph, was 17 years old, he took care of the sheep with his brothers, The sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. But he was always telling his father all sorts of bad things about his brothers. Jacob loved Joseph more than he did any of the other sons because Joseph was born after Jacob was very old. Jacob had given Joseph a fancy coat to show that he was his favorite son. And so Joseph's brothers hated him and would not be friendly to him. It's really a wonder that Joseph, the son of Jacob, ever amounted to anything at all. For one thing, he was his father's pet. He was the son of Jacob's old age. He was also the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Jacob also spoiled Joseph when he learned that Joseph was a first-class tattletale. So it's not surprising that Joseph's brothers all hated him. Another reason it makes us wonder why Joseph ever amounted to anything was because he let all this favor from his father go to his head. If you continue reading in chapter 37, beginning with verse 5, where I left off a moment ago, you'll find that Joseph had the gall to tell his brothers about a dream he had had. In verse 7, he told them I dreamed that uh, the wheat field, you had some fields of wheat and I had some, and your wheat all bowed down to mine. And then in verse 9, uh, Jake, Joseph said, the sun, the moon, and the star- 11 stars all bowed down to me. Really, how arrogant can you get? When Joseph told his brothers about his dreams, they hated him even more than they did before. And then to top it all off, Joseph's father, Jacob, had a coat made for him. It was a very special kind of coat. The King James Version of the Bible calls it a coat of many colors. Another translation uses the term a fancy coat. Yet another translation calls it a coat of extremities. What was this coat? Literally, it was a coat with sleeves. Ordinary working people back in those days wore coats which had no sleeves, but to wear a coat with sleeves in it denoted a white-collar worker. There's no reference to the color of the coat in the original language here. The important thing was that it was a coat with sleeves, a coat with extremities, a very fancy coat. Well, you probably know the rest of the story. In verses 12 through 14, we read that Joseph was set out to check on his brothers one day, which, by the way, was probably a real insult to them. Well, they saw him coming. Behold, this dreamer cometh, they said. And they made plans to kill him even before he got to them. They said, we'll kill him, throw him into some pit, and we'll tell our father that some wild animal got him. Here is where God stepped in and he used one of those brothers, Reuben, to thwart the murderous plans of the other brothers. Reuben's idea was much more humane. Let's just strip him of that fancy coat and throw him into a pit. And that's what they did. Just about the time that they were doing that, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way down to Egypt. So another brother, Judah, said, in essence, why we need to kill Joseph. Let's sell him to those Ishmaelites. And they did that for 20 pieces of silver. So things went wrong for Joseph very quickly. Once he was wearing that fancy coat, going to check on his brothers. And shortly thereafter, he was on his way to Egypt, sold as a slave. Now, this story has several truths to tell us about what we should do and how we should act when things go wrong for us. First, when things go wrong, we may or may not be responsible for the cause. Joseph was, and he wasn't responsible. He was responsible for his own big-headedness, but he was not responsible for the favoritism that his father showed to him. Sometimes we are responsible when things go wrong in our lives. For example, here's a person who falls madly in love. All seems to go well for a while, but then reality sets in. And this person finds that the mate was not exactly the person who was married at first. Someone has said, Moonlight and roses has turned into daylight and dishes. The coat of many sleeves is gone. I once heard of a young girl who married the man of her dreams. But after she returned home from the honeymoon, she began to realize that it was not a dream. It was more like a nightmare. Well, her girlfriends at work were eager to know how things went on the honeymoon. She replied, I tell you, that was the most over-recommended man I ever met in my life. (laughs) Yes, sometimes we are the cause for our own troubles. Bible is true when it says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But there are times when we are not responsible when things seem to go wrong. I've been speaking now for several Sundays about the decaying society in which which we live. Biblical morality, God's clear teachings about how we should live, and even our Christian heritage are constantly coming under attack by those who ridicule and even scorn and oppress those who stand for their convictions. We are called all kinds of names, bigots, racists, homophobes, narrow-minded, probably some other names I shouldn't use in the pulpit. All about us, we're seeing a decline of Christian values and beliefs, even in some churches of all places. Yes, as we sing in one of our hymns, the wrong seems oft so strong. But there's another truth from the story of Jacob, which we need to remember. We may not be responsible for the cause, but we are responsible for the result. This depends on how we meet the situation. Don't you know Joseph must have had some very discouraging thoughts and feelings when he was on his way down to Egypt? He had no idea what life would be like for him as a slave when he had formerly been his father's favorite child. Joseph didn't have to wait very long, though, if he had chosen to go against God's will and take up those evil practices that were all around him. Potiphar's wife saw to that. You can read all about this if you want to in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 9. Well, Joseph was well built and handsome. Potiphar's wife soon noticed him she asked him to make love to her, but he refused. And he said, my master isn't worried about anything in his house because he's placed me in charge of everything he owns. No one in my master's house is more important than I am. The only thing he has not given to me is you. And that's because you're his wife. No, I won't sin against God by doing such a terrible thing as this. And so Joseph refused Mrs. Potiphar. And when he refused her sexual overtures, once again, things went wrong for him. She lied to her husband, said Joseph had tried to rape her on one occasion. She grabbed his coat as he ran from her. And Joseph was put in jail. Even here, though, he did not blame God. He was not responsible for what happened. Finally, when things go wrong, we can deal with anything, staying true to God, and he will make it pay off for us. Joseph's predicament was turned into personal profit. He eventually became prime minister of all of Egypt, which would never have happened if he had not had so many things go wrong, so to speak, in his life. Look at the catalog of what went wrong with him. He was sold into slavery. He met Potiphar's wife, refused her. He was put in jail. In jail, he met the baker and the butler, and these two were very uh, played a very important part in his life. You can read all about that. And he was asked then to interpret dreams for the king. Joseph said in Genesis 41, 16, your majesty, I can't do it myself, but God can give you good meaning to your dreams. And he did. Once again, God had the last word, though. The king, that was the Pharaoh, told Joseph, God is the one who has shown you these things. Talking about the dream. No one else is as wise as you are or knows as much as you do. I'm putting you in charge of my palace, and everybody will have to obey you. No one will be over you except me. You are now the governor of all Egypt. And that's the story. Oh, what a fascinating, thrilling story this is. Because of what God did in Joseph's life, he found that success is nothing but failure turned inside out. That's what an oyster does when it takes a grain of sand and turns it into a pearl. You know the name Thomas Edison. He received a blow on his ear when he was just a young boy, and it rendered him totally deaf. Later, he made the statement that this event helped him to concentrate, which was a big factor in the success of his many experiments. A man who had an automobile accident lost the sight of one eye. He did not run to his phone and start calling all sevens or all nines or anything, all anything. The doctor told him that he would need to have a glass eye installed in his eye socket. All right, doctor, the man said, I consent but if you do have to put in a glass eye, please put a twinkle in it. Phillips Brooks was a great preacher. but He started out as a teacher. In the teaching profession, he was such a dismal failure that he was led to see that God wanted him to preach, not to teach. He also became somewhat of a poet, and Phillips Brooks wrote one of our favorite Christmas carols, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. Have you ever heard of Whistler's Mother? James Whistler did not want to be an artist. He wanted very much to be a soldier, but he failed at West Point. However, he did paint a picture called Whistler's Mother that the world will never cease to enjoy. Sir Walter Scott was a great novelist. He wrote Ivanhoe, among many other works. He first wanted to be a poet But when Byron's work came out, it so completely overshadowed Sir Walter Scott that he did not realize his ambition. In fact, Scott was so ashamed of his first novels that he published them anonymously. Let me ask you, have you come to the point in your life that you think also that too much has gone wrong? You may even be right now on the threshold of something great that God is opening up for you. Over toward the end of the New Testament, the book of James, he says in chapter 1, verse 2, whenever you have to face many kinds of trials, count yourself supremely happy. Wow, does that sound strange? Yes, it is to the person who doesn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The one who has no close fellowship with Jesus cannot expect the benefits that come from the sweet relationship that the Lord gives. But in all things, God can work for the good, but only if we'll let him. You've heard the phrase, perhaps, God can mend any broken heart, but he must have all the pieces. Now, before we stop, there's a postscript of this story we've been looking at today. It's found in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. Once again, I'm reading from the Contemporary English Version of the Scripture. After, jo- after Jacob died, Joseph's brothers said to each other, What if Joseph still hates us and wants to get even with us for all the cruel things we did to him? And so they sent this message to Joseph. But before our father died, he told us, You did some cruel and terrible things to Joseph, but you must now ask him to forgive you. That was the message of the old father who had died now. Now, we ask you, he continued, to forgive the terrible things we did. After all, the brothers said, we serve the same God that your father worshiped. When Joseph heard this message from his brothers, he started crying. Right then, Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to the ground in front of him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph told them, and this is such an important verse in the Bible, don't be afraid. I have no right to change what God has decided. You tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best. My dear friends, the God we worship today is the same God that Joseph worshiped and he's ready to help us. He's ready to help you right now wherever you are in your life if only you'll trust him. In just a few minutes we're going to be singing a song about trusting in Jesus but before we do will you join me and let's have a prayer together. Oh God when things go wrong in our lives it's so hard to know that the future is going to be better. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. But we know, Lord, that even though the devil is mighty, you, Lord, are almighty. So help us to trust in you, whatever it is that we're in the midst of right now, and to know that you are by our side. You love us and you're going to help us. Thank you for that calm, blessed assurance. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen.